Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and Daniel Collier. Daniel, good to have you on the show here again this morning. Daniel, what are you thankful for this morning? I'm thankful that last night I had a wonderful opportunity to cook a roast dinner for my beautiful wife and family. Just uh, massive points coming your way this morning, Daniel. <laughs> I don't I think my wife's listening yet, so <laughs> it's just coming out on the airwaves at this point. Let's change the subject right now. I think I strongly dislike Daniel at this moment. <laughs> He's making all of us, all the rest of us guys look really, really bad. If you cook something for your nice for your wife yesterday, and if you are the man in the home, don't send us a text message and tell us about it. <laughs> yes, do send us a text message. <laughs> See, it's sort of a, a, a turnaround because while I was in the cops, I'd be working ridiculous hours, two full 12-hour days, two full 12-hour nights. We were like two ships passing in the night and she did such a wonderful job helping to keep that house running while she was working full-time too as a teacher and I just really enjoy the opportunity I've got now to give back. This is supposed to be positively different. Oh, it's very positive. It's for all those married couples uh, out yeah, there. Yeah, go for it, like, Daniel. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm glad you had that opportunity. Uh, oh, an opportunity that I will probably never have. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever wants me to go anywhere near the kitchen. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, so, okay, so seeing as you told that terrible story, um, this is what I'm going to be thankful for this morning. Righto. So remember Monday... I think it was Monday. It was blazing hot. Yes. And so you took the opportunity and mowed your lawn oh, in did. the blazing heat. Yeah, that was fun. And Tuesday it was forecast to rain and it was like a cool 20 degrees and it didn't rain. And I got to mow mine while it wasn't hot. Amen. And before it rained. So there. Huh. You snuck it in. I snuck it in. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Hey, so there is a man in America named... Adolfo Melendez. I hope I said that right. If not, he can call and correct me. He's the owner of a Tex-Mex eatery, and he recognises that there are quite a few small businesses now that are really struggling with all the shutdowns in America. So we've got places like Walmart and big businesses are able to open and function, but a lot of the small businesses are restricted and they get shut down. What he's actually done, because he recognises that competition is healthy and he wants to build the community up instead of being the sole survivor, basically, is that he has gone and purchased something like $2,000 worth of gift cards from these restaurants, and then he raffles them out on Facebook through his business so people can get them and then go and eat at these other places to help try and build up their business as well. That's pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. By the way, somebody has texted through already with the first attempt. Very good attempt, I might say. But incorrect. Ooh, there we Somebody go. texts us through with conscience. Ooh. Now, that's a good one. That is cool. Everybody has a conscience. It's relatable. Okay. So, it relates to the correct answer, but it's not the correct answer. Is that kind of what correct, you're saying? Correct, yes. I mean, uh-huh. very indirectly relates, but uh-huh. 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 comes into it. Yep, yep, yep. yep. One would hope. Uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. I know what the answer is to this one, by the way, so um, that's why I'm not making any guesses because we, we we may or may not have had a bit of a discussion about this in the car on the way home yesterday while we were carpooling together. So. It, was a, it was a good chat. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Good, some good ideas were thrown about. All right, so what's our next uh, positively different story? Okay, the next one is there's a New Zealand man by the name of Henry Glogau, and he's doing something really interesting with his education and the fact that he is 
working with people in Chile and he's actually created a, a light that is also a desalination plant, like a mini desalination plant. What? So it's a light fixture. Yes. It's shaped like a, an upside down teardrop. Gets bigger, at the, way bigger at the top and then has this tiny little funnel at the bottom where it drips out. So it looks like an upside down light bulb. Or a, um, like a, a dob of cream on top of a cake. Okay. <laughs> you turn that around and stick it to your roof. And so what happens is he's got there, there are some very cheap batteries inside and salt water and the water comes through and then it's desalinated and drips through into the bottom. Now, the whole thing is actually solar powered by a tiny little panel, so it's very cost effective. So you put a solar panel on your roof. Little one, yep. Yep. And it collects the energy and it powers it and then right. it gives it the opportunity to collect water running yes. through as well, rainwater and whatever else, uh, condensation, and then it desalinates the water, right? creates clean drinking water up to 440 mils a day, which, I mean, it's not a huge amount, but that's a couple of glasses of water. Yes. And also provides power to light up a lot of the residences because over there they've got a lot of watered up windows, not a lot of natural sunlight comes through. The power systems that are actually working are jury-rigged with a whole bunch of cables crossing over. It looks like oh, a, a possum's man. nest, basically. Very dodgy, very <laughs> scary to work Electrical with. Electrical work in developing countries is hilariously- Definitely a sight to be seen. Legally dangerous. <laughs> I mean, you see bundles of wires on the corner of the street that are probably, what, three, four hundred mil just thick of wires just hanging on a random hook on the side of a wall, and then they're just sort of heading every different direction you can imagine. You could send an, an OHS officer from a Western country over there and watch his head explode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what is going on? Uh, the, I think the two, the two most hilarious things about developing construction in developing countries is uh, the electrical wiring and the scaffolding. Yep. So you'll find the building is, you know, a building 10 stories tall and the scaffolding is all made entirely from timber and string. That is the whole that's lot. Gutsy. The sound of that is gutsy. <laughs> and you have, and it's got no safety barriers, no you know fencing, Barricades no nothing, no, nothing like that. And people are just you know walking around all over it, like you know big, big groups of people because you don't have the machinery that we have, and so you you're making up for it with manpower. Yeah, many hands make light work. So you've got swarms of people walking over this scaffolding. <laughs> Amazing. But I thought that was an amazing thing to do. So he's got this sort of product that's two in one. Yeah. Provides clean drinking water, provides light. And the way that the water trickles down through actually creates these really crazy and out there lighting effects on the wall. So you have a piece of artwork at the same time. Yep. And there's an LED connector inside of it. So you can have it on during the night. So you can what? You add salt water to the top of it and let it drip down. Is that the? I tell you what. What I'll do is I'll take a fo I'll take a screenshot of the actual design and I'll yes. put it up on the Faith FM Facebook, Facebook page, page, so we can people can have a look and see what the because I think it's just it fantastic. I'll put the whole link up there. Well, see, great. this is the thing you talk about. You know, making a couple of cupfuls of water is not a lot, but if you had one in each room, then uh, in some countries that would be enough for people to, at the very least, survive off. Yeah. Kind of seems like it works a little bit like the old trick of, um, you know, you get some salt water and, and put it in a bowl and have a bowl within a bowl with a piece of plastic over the top of the stone on it and the fresh water goes up and yep. evaporates and then drips back down in the a plastic bag to a tree outside. Yeah, that kind of stuff. We actually want to try something different today too. Okay, we, we do. We want to reach out to our audience. Yes. 
and our listeners, we want you to share your positively different news with us. Yes. We want to share your God moments with all the other listeners. So if you've had some kind of wonderful blessing in the past, let's say week and a half, where God has put some kind of amazing circumstance in your life and you're just so thankful for it, we would love for you to text us through, keep it to about 20, 30 seconds of talking time, just in case we get a whole bunch of them, and we want to present them tomorrow so this will show. be our Friday thing. This will be a Friday thing. Yes. And present God moments. Listeners, like, listeners positively different God moments. Yeah, we share them at church at Maitland, and I love it because you're finding out what's going on in people's lives and you're hearing these wonderful blessings. And I usually get a chance to get up there because I'm, I'm blessed with one a week maybe, which is great. And it's just simple things like meeting people in a supermarket, having a chance to pray with them, stopping and changing a tyre. Anything where you've had this positive interaction with somebody, we want to hear about it. So please send them through or call them in if you can. Yeah, random acts of kindness. Let's hear about them. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What have we got that we can talk about? Um, All right, so here's a question for you, Daniel. When you were in the police force, what was the biggest drug bust you ever made? Myself. Um, So I'm thinking you did, like, general duties around the Cessnock area. There's plenty of drugs around the Cessnock area, but I'm thinking in general duties would be mostly, like, really, really small amounts, right? Yeah. We actually went to Cessnock Correctional Centre for a – because the rules for the correctional centre is once you go past their boundaries, they can search you whenever they want. There's no justification needed. Out in the street, police need to have particular justifications to believe you've got something on you you shouldn't have. Corrections – they don't have to worry about that. You walk in their gates, their house, their rules, they will just search you whenever they want. And so we had somebody that got searched and they ended up with some weird, dodgy stuff on them. We turned up and I took all the all the property and inside of it was a bunch of little sappy bags with residue and it was uh, methamphetamine. And I said to one of my mates, well, this is a waste of time. There's like 20 bags in here, but there's like literally nothing. It's tiny little little crystal pieces, not going to get anything from it. There's no point. And he said, well, why don't you tip them all into one bag and see how you go? And I ended up with 1.85 grams of amphetamine out of all of his little bags. I went, you beauty, that's enough to go. It's <laughs> enough to do I'm something happy with, with it. that. <laughs> there you go. All right, so let's uh, let's go back to our story. This uh, story coming out of the EU. Um, some police over there just made a drug bust of cocaine. How much, how much do you reckon they found? It's going to be it. It's, it's going to be you, if, Yeah, if you're it's talking about it, it's got to be It's going to be big. What do you reckon? Uh, 300 kilos. All right, try 23 tons. What? <laughs> That's massive. Oh, that the street value of that would be just, that is set well, up for eight lifetimes. Literally billions yeah. of dollars. The street value is in the multiple billions of dollars on their, on their initial calculation of, uh, so, uh, you know, a couple of billion dollars. Yep. Uh, That's out of control. That is absolutely wild. So that's a lot of cocaine to have off the street. So that's a positive yeah, different news story right there. Um, a lot less drugs floating around the EU. Um, and this was uh, headed for Belgium and Germany. Came through from uh, uh, Paraguay. Uh, so far they have arrested one suspect, which I thought was kind of small for a shipment that big, but I guess doesn't really matter on the size of the shipment how many people are managing it at the other end. And if you're running something like that, I guess it would be wise to have as few people involved as possible. Quite often when they're doing the big operations, they'll sort of let the little fish go to get to the big fish too. So if there's a circumstance where there's somebody that's you know, busted at a street level, but they know that they're getting it from somewhere else and there's a, a bigger dealer out there that's working, they'll sort of 
be more lenient on the street level person in order to get some further information and, and make yeah, that really the, big. Make the big one, the big yeah. bust. That's probably what they've done here. They've probably worked their way up through and gone, aha, and then they've gone Got the opened this particular <laughs> container and there were 1,700 cans of uh, putty in the container that uh, had 2,300 tonnes of cocaine in them. Jeez. Uh, so, sorry, 20, yeah, 23 tonnes. Um, and then uh, at the same time or around about the same time, they had a further 1.5 tonnes of heroin. Um, that was actually a separate operation, but that was coming into uh, the Netherlands. It reminds me of that passage in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 18 where the Bible likens the use of opiates to idolatry. Mm. And Same category as far as God says. Yeah. And then Paul talks about it in the New, New Testament as well, talking about pharmakia. Yes. Pharmakia being drugs and alcohol and other things like that, and it's we're expressly warned about its usage and the effects of it too. That's right. So does uh, Revelation. Revelation says at the end of time the whole world is deceived by drugs. And this is interesting because, um, you know, often we think, I think we think of recreational drug use as being a relatively modern thing. No, it's not a modern thing. The, the, the positive thing is that in modern times it has become illegal. Yes. Uh, this has been around forever thousands and thousands of years, and often when you study history, one of the things that we neglect to take note of is how heavily under the influence of drugs history is. Yeah, World War Two, for example. I know it's only 70, 80 years ago, but a lot of... German army was high, German army was high on ice. Yeah, same as the kamikaze pilots from yes. the Japanese army as well. Adolf Hitler was uh, was addicted to... Oh, he was in a whole bunch of... stuff, like a whole cocktail of stuff he was taking. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, we often shake our heads at the insanity of Adolf Hitler because you can look at, you know, some of his early years and, and while the guy was a nut job and totally evil, he did accomplish some incredible stuff and you sort of think, wow, you've got to have a high level of intelligence to accomplish what you've accomplished. You know, Germany was wrecked, it was ruined at the end of the First World War and 25 years later it takes on the whole world. Yep. That's, that has... That's an incredible achievement. I'm is, not trying to give credibility to Hitler because he was insane. And pure But evil. you see that, and pure evil, but you see him move from being pure evil to... Um, a much higher level of insanity as, he, as his addictions continue. Yeah, as it progressed through, yeah, lost his mind more. And that's the effects of it. People, you know, a lot of people will get into it thinking that it's just going to be a recreational circumstance until it completely transforms their life, takes over their life, rots their brain, and, you know, it, it, it is a big component of the ongoing mental health epidemic that's in the world as well. That's You've right. got people who have mental health issues as it is as standard. As soon as you complicate it with narcotics... You've got this mixture of basically a ticking time bomb and all it's going to do is just create a much worse situation in every possible way. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We did a bunch of uh, stories there while we were figuring out our song situation. We've got enough time to do some more. Let's talk about uh, the... Well, let's talk about... Okay, so this is a positively different news story. Um, I mean, this is a really good idea. Hey, 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 that's my segment. Yeah, too late. You missed this one. You, mi- you missed it. You missed it. Okay, so they've got a program that's starting down in Melbourne um, and the, the government has just uh, thrown $1.49 million at it with a grant to get it started. And the idea here is to recycle car batteries, not starting batteries, but electrical car batteries. 
Okay, so I love electric cars because of massive amounts of torque. They're just like that's 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 literally Greek to me. Okay, so 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 torque is like the the twistiness of the engine. So we have a lot in common, but when it comes to automobiles, <laughs> we part ways so far. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So um, basically, it's go fast technology. So electric cars are pretty, <laughs> are very, very cool. The problem with electric cars is that people buy them because they have an environmental conscience. However, the manufacture of the batteries involved in electric cars and the impact of the disposable of those disposal of those batteries at the end of life has a much greater environmental footprint than a petrol powered car running its entire life. Yep. And so they're actually they're actually very very bad for the environment. They're worse for the environment than a petrol powered car. They certainly enable countries to reach their emissions goals, but they don't solve the problem of the environment. Yeah, so it's, you, a, it's you, a real you, long term you know, problem. You, isn't you it? go to Paris, you sign up on agreement, and it's like, yeah, we're going to lower our emissions. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have electric cars, um, but you've created a much bigger problem by reaching that particular problem. But it gets you votes. It's sort of like a let's deal with let's let's get this out there now. Look good and let the future deal with the problem. Okay, so this company has come up with. Um, reusing these batteries. So the batteries are replaced when they get down to 80% capacity. Much like your phone. Yep. Once your phone gets your phone battery gets to 80% capacity, you're going to find it going flat, you know, much, much faster. You're going to reach a point where you have to charge it during the day, which is a pain in the neck. Yes. And so you take it and replace it, and it's really, really nasty chemicals and stuff in there to get rid of. And so what they're doing is they're collecting all these up, and they're saying, well, they've still got 80% capacity. We can do a lot with that. And they're repurposing them to supply uh, grid storage because it's like, well, why not? You know, even if they've only got 20% capacity, they can still store electricity for the grid. Yeah, still provide some kind of power. Yeah, for sure. And uh, better off than going into toxic landfill or something or other. Um, but they're using these, they're going to be using these for backup systems for farms, for microgrids, for rural networks and so forth. So I think that's a fantastic idea. I think we need to have more of these kind of ideas happening around our world. That is a wonderful story. I'm glad you shared it. Yes. Not even mad. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like to steal his stories every now and then. This is what happens when he makes me look bad. Keeps things interesting. Yes. Made me look bad this morning, bye. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to a... You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Very good. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Danuta Stockwell. Uh, Danuta, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lyle. <laughs> Danuta, we, we're kind of uh, super excited to have you on the show this morning because we had Keith Stockwell on the phone, well, yeah, on the phone here last week sharing his story and his testimony. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, You've got the same last name, so we're kind of assuming that um, you guys are related somewhere along the line. Yes, yeah, we kind of are. 
<laughs> yeah, we're married. We're married. We've been married just recently, had our twelfth wedding anniversary. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, that's hence the same surname. <laughs> that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you are a ministry couple. So both of you are in ministry. So last week we heard about Keith's ministry and uh, talked about where he was pastoring over at Windale and also his work with uh, the Indigenous community. Uh, where, what, where's, are you, do you do the same ministry as your husband or are you doing something different? Yeah, no, I'm a minister as well. Um, and I'm, I'm a minister at the moment at Nelson Bay Church, Nelson Bay Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, which is at 133 Salamander Way, Salamander Bay. Um, beautiful church. Um, yeah, just love, loving and lovely people and um, loving it there. That's amazing, and a beautiful part of the world as well. It is a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, yes. we, we all have yes. a question. How did you? How did you get to come to uh, get a position in a holiday environment, in a holiday <laughs> location? <laughs> God definitely had his part in this one. I think definitely. <laughs> and uh, where have you spent the last? I don't know. However many years of your ministry, because it, your, your last years of ministry haven't exactly been in holiday destinations, have they? No, so for almost 10 years, so August this year would be, would have been 10 years, um, we were out west, so we were ministering out in Burke um, and Brewarina, Walgett, around those areas. And, um, yeah, we moved from Sydney back in 2011 to Burke. Um, so, yeah, from a big city to a small place, and, of course, we've lived through the drought time as well. And But we've loved it out there. The people are beautiful out there, and, um, yeah, it was just a wonderful time, challenging at times, but just really wonderful time. And so, yeah, we've just recently moved down down this way. Um, yeah, closer, as somebody said, closer to the sea. <laughs> closer to the sea. Um, yeah. I, I just got to say, you are, you have to be um, the couple that just uh, find yourselves in extremes when it comes to ministry. <laughs> it's like <laughs> out back to the coast. You can't get uh, yes, much in between. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, God's got his people for us to minister to everywhere. Yes. Um, and um, and that's the beautiful thing. And we love doing ministry together. We really do. Um, and I think, you know, God's, yeah, given us the gift of complementing each other as well as um, helping each other and helping the people in the community. Denuda. Mm. And look. Yes, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I was also doing average, some Aboriginal work um, before I met Keith as well. And so, yeah, my passion is also with Aboriginal ministry with him. And hence, you know, we just loved it out in the outback. Uh, we did a lot with the Aboriginal folk out there. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, now, uh, what I was going to ask was how many, how many years have you actually been in ministry now for doing Serving God? Um, myself, personally, I've been probably about 20 years um, or just over 20 years now, really. Um, yeah, for me, it started back in the late 90s that I felt a strong call to ministry. Um, it came when, I guess, yeah, my just relationship with Jesus really grew at a time in my life and um, I felt a strong call to ministry. And at the time, I was in the health profession uh, working in a hospital, major hospital, and um, and I felt God's call, and so I moved into what's called literature evangelism, where it's actually a combination of um, what's well, it's door-to-door sales work, meeting people in their home, but uh, yeah, selling selling health books and Christian books, and praying with with folk, and studying. 
God's word with them. And um, yeah, and then we, when I met Keith as well, we were both. I was I was doing that. And then we felt the call to to then minister in in churches as well. Then in church, um, as well as I felt the call to to then go on to further studies and and do theological studies through Avondale College, Rambong. And um, yeah, so it's been quite quite some time, I guess. Really, if I look at it too, that um, you know, I think ministry doesn't necessarily have to be completely in a pastoral role um, I think all of us can be you know the Bible says that we're all ministers um, in um, in Peter it says that that we're, we're all ministers we're God's children and we're to minister and so I I was quite involved in church when I was growing up and being in a church orchestra and 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 involved in other things too so but yeah the more formal side of ministry came later so could you tell us a bit about your early experiences then uh it seems that you grew up in a christian home i did yeah i did i i grew up in a um seventh day Adventist home i was raised in the seventh day Adventist home um so i attended church with my parents but i must say that um when i came to my teenage years um i remember the, the the most challenging year for me in my teenage years was when I was 14 years of age and I really started asking myself a lot of questions. Um, I guess one of the key ones was, you know, do I really need to believe in God? That was that was one of the key ones. I think um, the other two key ones that really came for me is do I need to attend church? And, you know, am I attending church out of habit just because my parents are taking me to church or because, I feel that, you know, I ought to be going, and you know, according to the Bible. And so, um, yeah, I really asked myself a lot of those those questions. Um, at the time, for a couple of years in my teenage years, I, I was attending. So that year I had just started attending a Christian school, a Seventh-day Adventist school at the time. And, um, yeah, I was still asking a lot of questions. But, um, yeah, just through prayer and things, God convicted me that, the answer to all of those questions was yes. <laughs> but really in my 20s, I then still felt a real emptiness. Um, yeah, a real emptiness actually, even though I'd accepted Jesus into my life. What I realized is that I didn't really have a living relationship with Jesus. And that's what I just, I just craved for that. Um, yeah, and that's when in my mid-20s, I was actually overseas at the time in the UK away from my family for a couple of years, working in the health profession. And um, that's when I began to read my Bible for an hour in, or more a day, really. And that's when I really discovered, um, yeah, the love of God. Rather than having a whole lot of head knowledge, the love of God really, um, yeah, filtered into me, I guess. Uh, I experienced God so much more and I feel that Jesus became real to me um, as I spent the time with him and, yeah, I, you know how Paul Paul says that you become transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's what I feel happened to me. God just transformed me and took me on a completely different journey when I came back to Australia. Mm. Okay, so when you come back to Australia, you've uh, transitioned, I guess, from uh, if I if I have the story correctly, across into uh, literature ministry. Is that what happened? Yes, that's right. So I still spent another year, or close to two years. Uh, back in the health profession just for a little while um, uh, for various reasons, but I still felt God's strong tug to go in that direction. And I remember approaching my manager at the time in the hospital 
and just saying, you know, I was a speech pathologist at the time and I just approached and said, look, this is what's happening and I feel I'm, I need to resign. And it came as a surprise to her, but at the same time she she accepted that and, um, yeah, hence the, the changeover to literature ministry as well. Mm. And how many years did you do – did you start – when you, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you met Keith when you were working in uh, Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. Is that where you started literature ministry? Um, I started first in Adelaide and then moved um, close to a year later to Sydney, and so I was doing it in Sydney. Um, and that's, in fact, how I met, met my husband, Keith. <laughs> um, now, we heard said, his side of this story last week, so <laughs> let's, 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 hear, let's hear your side now. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's hope they marry up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, so I was door-knocking um, – in Sydney, and um, yeah, so he, uh, several months after I was door knocking in a particular area in Sydney, um, Keith's sister actually um, bought some books from me, some um, health books as well as the children's Bible story books and my Bible friends and a big family Bible. Um, and um, when on my very first visit, she actually recognised Doctor. James Wright, who had um, written the health books at the time, and she said he's a Seventh-day Adventist, isn't he? And um, I said, yes, how do you know? She said, well, we were brought up Seventh-day Adventist. And so, yeah, our friendship developed over the time as well, and I, I also started taking her to church as well as introduced her to um, the Aboriginal pastor of the church at the time. And, um yeah, but it wasn't until four years after she was getting books, so she was just paying them off on a um, paying them off, and so I was delivering books over the time, and she was then purchasing more books. And one day, Keith came, came to her place, and um, yeah, we exchanged a conversation for probably all of about five, five, not even ten minutes. And he was very shy back then. <laughs> not um, the man God's got him now. He's just really chatty, of course. And um, But back then he was quite a shy man. And he actually asked me my age at the time, which I was surprised. And I said, well, if you want to know that, um, why don't you come to church on Saturday? Oh, nice one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice move. Very and smooth. So, so he said, all right, I will. And I remember getting into the car, looking up to the ceiling, you know, up to God and going, oh, oh kind of thing. But sure enough, he turned up. And what I didn't know is that the day before, the pastor had also visited him and they'd had a similar conversation, you know, about God. And the pastor said, well, I'll just, you know, well, you know, you know, do you believe in God? And he's like, yes, and whatever. And so he said, well, I'll see you at church on Saturday. And the next day I said the same. And so... I don't know if he said this, but he did admit to me when we got married that at the start he started coming to church um, to see me. (laughs) 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 But that really, um, I guess, you know, God got a hold of him as well. And and he had actually said to the pastor that he wants to get on back on track with the Lord. So, and I just observed him for quite some time. And long story short, I guess, you know, I observed him and I could see that he really loved the Lord and, I prayed about it, didn't share it with anyone else but God. And, yeah, so a week after he was baptised, by then we were already keeping some contact but not dating. And, yeah, so we started dating after he was baptised. I really wanted him to be linked to God rather than to me, to have a true relationship with Jesus rather than depend on somebody else. But, um, 
and he does. He really loves the Lord and has a, a real living relationship with Jesus. Oh, and, so, and you yeah. can see that in his ministry and the work that he's doing for God now. It's just amazing what uh, what Keith is doing mm. and, and what both of you are, what God is able to do with both of you now as a ministry couple. I think it's just a, um, I think it's a huge blessing. Tell me, mm. you um, obviously you've got an interest in, in um, ministry to Aboriginal people. You're married to an Aboriginal person. Uh, mm-hmm. Did that interest come about as a result of your relationship with Keith or was this something you were interested in before that? Because I understand that your background, your parents and, and uh, heritage is, is Polish, is that right? That's right, it is. Yes, it is Polish. And so I didn't have a lot to do with Aboriginal people where I was growing up, but um, but it was really more when I started the literature ministry that I started having more contact with Aboriginal people and I guess... Um, there's uh, um, the Aboriginal culture and, and the people, it's such a rich culture and the people are just so beautiful. Um, and there's a real deep spiritual side to the Aboriginal people. But more than that, they're such loving people and they're really family orientated. You know, they, they love their families. And I guess to a degree, there was a bit of a connection too, because like with the Polish folk, they Having migrated here was very much about families, but my cousins are like my brothers and sisters to me in many ways too. But also, you know, the Polish folk came and lived off the land. That's how they survived during the wartime. And if you look at the, the, the Aboriginal culture, of course, you know, um, they lived off the land. That was that was the beginnings and that's the continued thing. And, you know, they are very strongly linked to the land. And so... Um, yeah, so there was a, a, a connection from that angle as well. You know, some connections, even though we we're from different cultures, there were similarities. But just to sit um, sit with the folk and, and um, they love laughing, you know what I mean? They love laughing and sharing together. Um, there's just so many beautiful things within with with the Aboriginal culture and with the Aboriginal people that I love. Mm, I think you've got an and amazing so ministry then, there, praise God. Yeah, and then so, yeah, God also, you know, brought me an Aboriginal man into my life and it's just, um, yeah, I've just learnt so much more through being with him and, and meeting so many more families as well. Mm. I, think it's, I think it's a bit sad how little we in Australia actually know of, you know, who are not Aboriginal, the non-Aboriginal in Australia. I think it's a bit sad how little we actually know of the... Um, of the culture of the first people who were here, you know, it's it's one of those Absolutely. things that we're sort of, you know, vaguely aware of in the back of our minds. But you know, when I hear you talk about it, and I hear you talk about, you know, these people that just love family and they're deeply spiritual, mm. I'm thinking there is things here that we have to learn from, uh, you know, the original inhabitants of this continent that w- would be so enriching to us. Danuta, it's been fantastic having you here on the show this morning and sharing your testimony with us. Um, Of course, you mentioned at the beginning that you are pastoring at the... um, Nelson Port, Bay. Nelson Bay. I was going to say Port Stephens, but Nelson Bay Church. Just give us that address mm. real quick because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who would love to get sure. along there and to meet you. Sure. It's 133 Salamander Way, Salamander Bay. So it's between where the golf course is and the coal store. Um, it's just right on one of the bus stops, actually. So, yeah, 133 Salamander Way, 
Salamander Bay. Denudis Duckwell, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. And uh, of course, if you are anywhere in the area, and particularly, you know, if you're going on holiday in the uh, Nelson Bay, Port Stephens area, a lot of people go there for holiday. I've been there for holidays on a number of ca- occasions. Then do head along there and uh, and, and check out uh, Denudis Church. I've I've not been to the church, but I've been to the area. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.